Hey, I'm Bethany Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. A few weeks ago, our friend and soulmusic.com founder, David Nathan, had the opportunity to head to Los Angeles and speak with a few special guests, as you'll hear in the coming weeks. And one of those very special guests joins us today. Kathy Sledge and her siblings and sister Sledge formed the group in 1971 and achieved international success later in the decade. In 1979, their breakthrough album, We Are Family, included the US top 10 singles, He's the Greatest Dancer and We Are Family, which, in my opinion, both absolute bops. We Are Family earned a Grammy Award nomination for Best R&B Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. The 80s brought another international smash with their single Frankie, which spent four weeks at number one in the UK. The group continues to perform and tour, which you'll hear about as we join David Nathan and his guest, the amazing Kathy Sledge. Uh, but today, this is really, really great to be sitting here with uh, a, a lady that I met, uh, first met actually in 1975. I tracked it. Uh, so when we, I did my first Sister Sledge interview, and it was for Blues and Soul magazine, and it was in, well, the interview, I think, oh, I know what the interview was. The interview was in New York, and the, I think I want to say, was it the offices of Barbara Harris? No, it was Barbara Harris, yes. maybe? Uh, the Atlantic publicist at the time. Barbara Harris. That's right. And yes. uh, it was on the occasion of the really, let me get my chronology correct here. <clears throat> but I think it was in the wake of the success of Love Don't Go Through No Changes on Me. Wow. Or, or no, you know what? It was on the it was for the release of the first Sister Sledge album, Circle of Love. Circle of Love. That's right. So wow. that's how far back we go. And <laughs> we over, go back. We go back. We go back. And uh so yeah over the time over the years uh, of course, you and I have run into each other on different occasions. Yes. It's just really a pleasure to be able to speak with you today, Kathy, and just reminisce uh, a little bit and just reflect on um, your life and times. And okay. I, mm-hmm. I think I want to start in, 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 in a kind of different place, which is um, to ask you, here we are, this is 2020. Mm-hmm. Did you have any thought when you were growing up in Philadelphia with your sisters and your family and when you started a recording career, that you would still be recording, performing, touring, I mean, doing all that you're doing now. Did you have any even inkling of thought that that would be the case all these years Uh, later? David, not an inkling. It's funny because I honestly, as a little girl, I don't even remember saying I want to sing when I grow up. It just happened. Everything just happened like lightning. <laughs> okay. And no, but the fact and the thought that we are, and I still am, is remarkable to me because I actually get to do what I love. Mm. It's never felt like work to me. Right. So it's pretty special. Yeah. yeah. And and let's go back. Let's go back a little bit to those early years uh, of growing up and listening to music and, and then choosing I know, of course, uh, that uh, you started out with your f- other members of your family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, singing in local clubs in Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. And at what point do you recall that you all decided, well, we really want to do something professionally? Well, it's funny. We always, 
I always felt personally it became professional when we got paid for it. Well, that's true. <laughs> that, that's what made it professional. Because, you know, what was so crazy is that we were always singing. We were singing yeah. uh, my grandmother's teas at her church that, you know, we attended. Mm-hmm. Or it could be anywhere from the rec center for special events. And we would do it. We loved it. Yeah. Favors. <laughs> and right. then one day someone said, I'll pay you for this. And honestly... Secretly to myself, I was like, really? I would so do this for free. But okay. (laughs) But so that really is what I think established the fact that it was professional. And and that was honestly when I was around 13 years old. That's the first time I did a professional job. I'm going to ask you a silly question. Do you remember how much you got paid? Yes, I do. $350. Wow. That was pretty good. At that time? That's right. $350 would be more like, you know. Two thousand or something. <laughs> yeah, back I mean, then. Today, you know. <laughs> and it was a, it was a cabaret. It was a private really? event, which I don't even know if they have cabarets anymore. I hear they're starting to come back, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was you know a private event where kind of like a very close to almost like it felt like a speakeasy kind of thing where yeah. But that's what cabarets were back then. Mm-hmm. Neighborhood friends would come together, and the band that they had hired walked out on evidently the event coordinator like two weeks before the event and they wow. they asked us wow. we'll pay you can you do this can you sing for like 30 minutes and okay that's how it all started three hundred fifty dollars now did you have a name back then we were, we're just called the sledges we're always okay. like we're the sledges okay all right that's our last name yeah even our name was a mistake uh you know eventually through the years at one of the clubs we were working at, the DJ was inebriated, and he introduced us backwards, <laughs> Sister Sledge, and our oldest sister, Carol, who's like my best friend to this day. She was, you know what? That's kind of cool. Keep it. So Really? That's really how we got our name. Yeah, I never sisters. knew that. Just introduced backwards. I don't know where that guy is to this wow, day. Wow, <laughs> wow. Now, I'm also going to ask you another question about uh, you know, Philadelphia because we, mm-hmm. we know that over the years, Philadelphia you know, has emerged. Or it's certainly back in the 70s in particular, or even the late 60s, you know, yeah. uh, was a flourishing music center. And many, many great groups, artists have come out of Philadelphia. Um, and do you think it had anything, were you really impacted by the fact that there was so much music happening in Philadelphia in your formative years? Uh, Or were you not really a part of that? We weren't a part of it, but we knew all about it. And in fact, you know, we really did audition for Gamble and Huff years ago, who to this day are great people. I Mm -hmm. see them every now and then in the industry. But we were told we were too young. We were told we were Mm -hmm. not mature enough, you know. I believe the song we auditioned was Three Degrees. When will I see you again? Now I get it. Because what, was I 13 or 14? (laughs) But we did. We got a chance to audition. Mm. And, you know, our successful first signing was actually in New York, not in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. And then I know that there are some Philadelphia producers that were involved, writers involved, like Phil Hurt and Tony Bell, the uh, younger brother of Tom Bell. Yes. Yes. And uh, was anyone else involved in that particular group? Was, I, I'm trying it was, to, it was, was it also LeBaron Taylor? Was LeBaron Taylor was yeah. the then uh, record company executive mm-hmm. that Phil Hurt, whom I, I still stay in touch with. Yeah. Thank goodness for Facebook. I mean, we've yes. known him. Yes. But just to 
talk to them every other day. It's cool. Wow. But Phil Hurt, he actually nicknamed my sisters and myself, he nicknamed us his ulcers. Because <laughs> we would, you know, we were kids. <laughs> We'd drive them crazy. But no, um, uh-huh. Phil Hurt and, and Tony Bell, mm-hmm. the way that all worked out is we were a local act and we were always working the clubs. Mm-hmm. And Phil Hurt and Tony Bell approached us because they were trying to get a production deal. Yes. And they said, will you sing mm-hmm. these songs? Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, that song that we sang, as you know, mm-hmm. went to number one mm-hmm. in the UK. That's right. That's oh, right. Which, uh, you know, uh, are you referring to Mama Never Told Me? Mama Never Told yeah. Me. Yeah. 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 yeah, what's interesting about that is, uh, um, you know, of course, I, I did a little research for our uh, upcoming um, box set. Yes. I'll do a little plug in there for that. Yeah. Soul Music Records box set, uh, yeah. Thinking of You. Uh, which is all of the Sister Sledge recordings for ATCO, mm-hmm. uh, Atlantic, and Cotillion. Atla- mm-hmm. ATCO, Cotillion, and Atlantic. That's the sequence, a story right? of our lives. Yes, yes, yes. And um, you know, it was interesting to notice that that actual Mama Never Told Me came out in the U.S. and didn't do much uh, didn't at all. Didn't do much. And then it was a U.K. That massive hit kind of there. gloved onto it, and yeah, yeah. Uh, which I mean, I was going to ask you later about this, but since that's kind of come up in the conversation, um, I know that um, European fans, particularly British fans, have been very supportive of uh, of you and Sister Sledge over many, many decades. And uh, I'm curious, you know, when, do you remember the first time you went to Britain? I do. I, you know, it's it's thinking back, but I do remember. Um, because of Mama Never Told Me, going over and being very surprised how we were embraced, you know, because mm-hmm. I was still in middle school. But wow. I, I, I literally would, you know, I learned very early on not to talk about it when I went home because, you know, it, you just didn't fit in. Your friends were at the mall that <laughs> right, weekend yeah. or the movies and, yes. and you were in London. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, But I, I tell you where the balance came in. Mm. I learned very early on that... It was work to me. And instead of saying I was in the UK or I was in London this weekend and explaining what that meant, mm-hmm. I learned to say I had to work this weekend. Mm. And it helped me to understand the balance. One is your life and one is your work. And, mm-hmm. of course, your life does come first. Yeah. And growing up that way and understanding and embracing that balance mm-hmm. really helped me. Yes. And what was your first reaction when you just, well, we'll just we won't dwell on this for the entire podcast, but it's certainly interesting to find out, you know, when you first encountered British audiences, I mean, h- how was it for you? I mean, was it like, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining it must have been kind of wow. It was, <laughs> it was shocking. It was wow. But what's interesting is, you, you know, I have to keep in mind that we were always performing locally. Yes. At home. Yes. So we learned to really warm up with an audience mm-hmm. at a very early age. The difference was they they already embraced you before you stepped on stage because they were familiar mm. with a hit record. Mm-hmm. And what I learned was, wow, not only is this something that I love doing, but it's something that they love before you even hit the stage. Yeah. It made it, in a sense, it made it easier to perform. Yes. But at the same time, you... I was from the school of, um, and my sisters, of, our mother used to always tell us, you know, you can't depend on your last record. Right. So always be an entertainer. Yes. And to this day, I believe that is what has gave me personally the longevity of being yes. an artist. 
Yeah. No, it's just sustained you to, to, to know yeah. that this is about entertainment. Yeah. It isn't just about hit records, although hit records do help. Yeah, they help a lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I also learned, too, through the years to, you know, to learn to be relevant mm. with the things that you do. And I think why, you know, I've been producing shows now overseas. Mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. what's interesting is the Sledge catalog over there, we must have at least 12 hit records. Mm-hmm. That they all sing along to, from thinking of you to lost in music. Yeah, Mama never told me to yeah. smile. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, it makes so much sense to, to, build and produce live concerts at festivals that yes. we headline over there. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things, uh, and and then we will move on to other subjects. But okay. since we're still talking about the UK and. Uh, given that that's where I'm from, of course, I'm going to kind of... Of course, the, the, the one of the most, one of the biggest hits uh, was with the song Frankie, which was actually number one, you know, Frankie. legitimate number one, proper pop, <laughs> pop number one single in England. I think it was like for most of their summer, which no one even knows here, really. Are you kidding? Like, they do, don't you, know. do, do you ever perform it in, in America? It depends on what terror. That's one thing that's been always very interesting coming from this from this band. Whenever I perform, and I don't perform as much with my sisters, but mm-hmm. when we do, Kim and I are talking about doing more things together, but mm-hmm. I always have to think about the territory we're in first. Yeah. Like, if we're going to, you know, Amsterdam, yeah, definitely do Frankie or London, of course. Yeah. We're like, no, don't do it when you're in New York. Really? Thinking of you, ironically, is starting to have a whole new resurgence here in the United States. And so really? in New York, yeah, I, I, I think about when I put, as I am starting to produce concerts for here, mm-hmm. thinking of you, like, you know, Niall, when he just plays the beginning of the, yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, 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 you know, the crowd already yeah. knows it. And so that's how I learn. I learn what records that we've had mm-hmm. through the years work yes. that people embrace. I mean, did you like the song, Frankie? I I, I liked Frankie. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, first of all, I love Denise Rich. She's the songwriter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Denise and I have since then talked about doing other things, more mm-hmm. jazzy stuff that we mm-hmm. like. But um, it was her first record that she ever wrote in honor of her sister. That's the story behind it. Oh, really? Her, her, she actually yeah. was losing her sister. Okay. And her sister, in her deathbed, said, you have to you have to write again, Denise. You have to do your songwriting. Mm. And she always felt it was very special that Sister Sledge was a group that was approached yeah. to her to write, to write a song for. Mm. And she thought she felt there was such a connection. Mm. She loves telling the story. Mm. Now, it was a folk song. It was very like, Frankie, do you remember me? Like a sing-along, almost like Joan Baez. <laughs> and I remember when we played it for Niall, he was like, wait, what? Like, you, But we knew he was going to do his, his magic on yeah, it. Yeah. So I think it, you know, it was, it was a, a combination of everyone, that, everyone brought what they, I think, did mm-hmm. best to the feast. Yes. You know, our performance with it and Denise's writing and then, of course, Niall's production. Yeah. And his interpretation of it is what took it to number one. Yeah. For so long. Yeah. Amazing. A cute right. story. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. I mean, you know, just, uh, 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 again, reflective, reflective of the global appeal 
yeah. that Sister Sledge has had over the decades. I would like to say this. Like when I perform Frankie, and even when my sisters and I perform it, but it's all, it reminds you a lot, and you know this because this is your country. Yes. Your, yeah. you know, country. I, they, I love how the audience sings along. Like, oh, yeah. Like with Greece, you know, they, yeah, when they yeah, do yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the, you know, but the, the, the women love Frankie. Really? I've seen guys kind of like not like it at all. <laughs> but the women just sing along. I sometimes just hold the microphone out in the crowd and they, they sing the bridge yes. by themselves. Yes. Well, let, let, let's talk a little bit. I mean, you mentioned Niall. Obviously, I was going to talk to you about mm-hmm. the phenomenal success that came, yeah. um, you know, with, with We Are Family album and then um, uh, Love. Uh, album after that, Love. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, love Somebody Today. Love Somebody Today. Yes. Should have been on my notes. There. I've got to. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so now, just let, let me make sure that this is correct. Is it that um, prior to that, um, you know, Atlantic or ATCO at the time uh, was not sure what to do with you after you had had some success, but not like phenomenal, like breakthrough. This is before we are. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that is how the story was. And, you know, we what's interesting is keep in mind, we had international hits. We had we have very big records and like Mm -hmm. uh, Mama Never Told Me in London, in England Mm -hmm. and and Pain Reliever. We had won. Yes. Yeah. Tokyo Music Festival. Wow. We tied with the Commodores. And here we are, like, I was 15 then. And, Amazing. You know, we got to travel to Zaire and for the Muhammad Ali, George Foreman festival, festival and fight. So here we were, these international artists without a domestic hit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what Niall Rogers and the late Bernard Edwards did is they were in a very interesting predicament. They had, they had given Columbia Records a hit record. With, I just can't wait till Saturday. Okay. And so I believe how the story goes is our record company, our then record company president, Jerry Greenberg, Mm -hmm. came to them and said, look, guys, you kind of owe us a favor. Like, give us, give Mm -hmm. us a hit. Mm -hmm. Choose any artist on this list. Mm -hmm. And I believe Niall said it. The Rolling Stones were on this list. Right, right. And they wanted them to give them a hit with the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. And Nala and Bernard were in a sophomore place in their life. Mm-hmm. They had had hits. They were doing amazing yeah, success. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they said, you know, if we do a record with the Rolling Stones, it's going to be a hit. We need an act that no one knows of. Right. But people can actually say, wow, they're excellent producers and they did yeah. a great job with this. Yeah. Which I thought is pretty genius. Yeah. And... um there were names on this list, and we were on that list, and we were kind of like this obscure act here in the United mm-hmm, States, mm-hmm. only locally known. Mm-hmm. And they thought, and, and I always like telling this part of the story. We were described by Jerry Greenberg as this act, you know, these are these girls, and they always come up to the record label, like when we met you with Barbara mm-hmm, Harris, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and their family. And they flocked together like birds of a feather. And and as he was telling this, Niall and Bernard took the notes, and that really is the portrait, the lyrics of We Are Family. Wow. So I always love telling that story. I don't know why uh. Niall doesn't tell it as much. But it really was the it was the it was the evolution of that song that was really written 
about the description. Sure. A portrait of these sisters. Yeah, yeah. That's so, what makes it so. So that's when. So they said, "All right, we'll we'll produce yeah. Sisters Ledge." They said they're pretty obscure. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do that, and that that was the beginning of this. Now, just because I mean, obviously, I mean in retrospect, mm-hmm. I think people know every single song on that album. Every single and we one. Are family. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. are family. You know. Um, uh, lost in music, thinking, thinking of yeah. you. I mean, just the whole. I mean, it's almost like every track was a yes. hit. Oh, I mean, you could almost say that. Um, and of course, he's the greatest dancer, which I remember yeah. the first time I heard that. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, wow. I mean, it I was know. just so like infectious. And, uh, man, yeah. I mean, it's that infectious. guitar line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just. You know, I was just so trust. Did she say, oh, what a wow? Yeah, right. I, mean, I was always listening, trying to listen to what, what, and of course I now know this. So, yeah, well, that, oh, what and a wow. And that's how Niall Rogers and Bernard Edwards would talk. They'd go, oh, what, wow. Like, you know, yeah. it, the lyrics are, oh, what, wow, he's the greatest dancer. And yeah, we get, I wonder why, or oh, what, why, you know, but, yeah. what, you know, now what's interesting is the greatest dancer and we are family, we're huge records here. Yeah. And then we had, you're right, unless mm-hmm. you bought the album, but then Thinking of You mm-hmm. and Lost in Music. Lost in Music. And Greatest Dancer Family were yeah. huge records in other territories, in yeah. other countries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you were first presented with the song, mm-hmm. what did you think of them, you personally? What did you think of the of the, of, of the Nile and Bernard songs? <laughs> you can be lo- honest. You're going to it's love okay. this. <laughs> no, you're going to so love this. I was not allowed to hear the songs until it was time to record them, period. Why? Because they believed in spontaneity. Now then, you know, being a lead singer and being this kid, mm-hmm. I was, I know I'm, I got on Niall's nerves so much, in a good way. I was like, leave it to Beaver. I would like follow him around the studio. I'm like, Niall, you think they're going to play this record? You think it's going to be a hit? And he goes, look, sweetie, it's going to, you're going to be, it's going to be massive. And I didn't understand his, 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 his confidence. I was like, wow, well, no, you don't understand. They never play our records. But what I did learn, it was a little frustrating having to deliver some of these songs and never hear them. But I so get it now. Mm. I think is why they've had the longevity that they have mm. because I think spontaneity was the whole idea behind not making it sound too rehearsed. Right. Um, we are family, you know. I remember one of those songs, I think Greatest Dancer, I learned line for line. Mm. You know, Bernard Edwards would go, okay, sing One Night in a Disco. And I go, One Night in a Disco. Okay, next, On the Outskirts of Risco. On the Outskirts of Risco. And I really learned it line wow. for line. But what I learned from all of this is I really respect producers because I always look at a producer as if they are a director in mm-hmm. a film. Mm-hmm. They see, they're a visionary. Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. You just have to trust, mm-hmm. you know, and deliver your best. Yes. Um, and I think with Nile and Bernard, they knew that they couldn't fail this project. So they had a formula. Yeah. Keep in mind, they were being watched on this one because... Yeah. They had all the success with their former hits, and they they knew that they chose this act, mm-hmm. uh, this obscure act, and they were to deliver to deliver a hit. Mm-hmm. So they had a formula. They had a formula with their vocals, mm-hmm. like, you know, with Luther and Alpha Anderson. Alpha, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, 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 and 
they didn't want to deviate at all. And who can blame them? They right. had something that worked. Yes. And when it came to, you know, with us, we were always used to, especially in earlier projects like Circle of Love, mm-hmm, we were mm-hmm. used to singing our harmonies and, you know, giving mm-hmm. our harmony parts out and harmonizing. Mm-hmm. But with them, it was more, nope, we have what we need for background. You know, you wow. can sing along. Or in some cases, they would use Mm-hmm. The the singers that they use, like mm-hmm. if you listen to Katine, it is actually the same singers on, on Family or the same yeah. singers on Greatest Dancer. Mm-hmm. You can, and once you know it, you can hear. And it's not to say that we didn't sing on our records because we were there, but they had a formula that I totally trusted. Mm-hmm. And you know, we are family of people know this now, but the ad lib was really done in one take. Amazing. Now, it didn't mean that I sang it exactly how we hear it now, right, but right. I just sang my heart out, and mm-hmm. then they took it and edited it and spliced it and maybe repeated certain mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. But I remember doing it like one time and ready to go like five more tracks, you know, and they were like, <laughs> no, we got it. And I was like, wow. okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> now, did you, when, when, you, when it was finished, mm-hmm. did you have any, you or your sister have any idea that it would... No. Become like the, you know, really, you anthem. could say well, it was really the not only the anthem, but like the groundbreaking milestone album for your for you and your group. I mean, for no. just really like a career. A lo- no, I wouldn't say career. I would say life-changing. It was life-changing. Yeah. I mean, did you have any idea when you went? Let, let, let me try to see if no. we can paint the picture. <laughs> so here you are. You've recorded, it, you've recorded the songs. And, of course, the next stage is mixing and mastering and all the other parts that go in before a record actually comes out. Mm-hmm. So when you heard the final mixes, so to speak, and you knew it was about to come out, did you have even a clue what might happen? Not a clue. Because you're looking at someone that had had at least several records out, especially, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, it means so much to you when you're, like, in just beginning high school, middle mm-hmm. school, wow. telling your friends that you have a record out and they never hear it. And it was frustrating until yeah. that song came out. Yeah. And I'll never forget, again, Niall was so confident, and I get the confidence now, mm-hmm. because there is a formula that you have to have in order, especially in that day, yes. to have a record played even. Yes. You know, it's political, yeah. but they knew that it was going to get the attention that it deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget... He's the Greatest Dancer, of course, came out before We Are Family. Yes. And I remember saying to myself, you know, no one's going to ever hear this on the radio because I've had at least six songs out with my sisters here in the United States and and no one. Nothing, yeah. Well, all I have to say is the day of the release of He's the Greatest Dancer, Mm. that is what woke me up with the alarm clock (laughs) that morning for school. I I woke up to that guitar line and I was like, what? That's our record. And so... I knew, you know, I, I learned early on, well, you know, these record companies, they have, when you get the proper backing yeah. and you have a good record, it certainly does make all the difference. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, to answer your question, not a clue. And, um, I, you know, Greatest Dancer skyrocketed. And then we were family just took off like at a higher level mm-hmm. and... It was life-changing. It still is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I always say, you know, I'm working on other ideas, more productions, some television mm-hmm. ideas with mm-hmm. my daughter and my son. But it's funny because it's a household brand, you know, we're mm-hmm. family. Yeah. And I don't think we could ever have imagined mm. 
hear, you know, these, these five girls, four really in the group that the song was written about mm. to, I always say we were that group that brought the world together through a song mm. Mm. as a family through a song. And sometimes we've had our rocky roads at the expense of almost losing our own, yes. you know, but in the end, I will forever be proud of that. And I had no idea that it would, mm. I would say it's going to be here when we're long gone. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing that's so interesting is, is that that song alone, if we took mm -hmm. out everything else, yeah. I mean, that song obviously has transcended yeah. the music of the times. It's, it's, it, it is really an anthem. Yeah. Um, and it, and, and I'm, I know you have many, many stories, Kathy, of people who have come up to you and told you the difference that that song's made yes. in their lives with their families. It's still to this day, yeah. Yeah, is that, do you often get moved still by always. the kind of stories that people tell always. you? Always. I, I, you know, I always say I'm going to do a project, and, and when I get a chance to write this, and I will, because I talk about it a lot, I always say I would like to write a, a you know, a short story book, basically, called What Family Means to Me. Mm. And, you know, truthfully, that it's more in the context of that song because mm. we've had so many stories mm. where people have gotten together. You know, it can be as drastic as someone's deathbed yeah, and their yeah, family yeah. was around them. And they'll come to us and they'll share these stories. You know, mm. you know, my grandfather loved the song or my dad loved the song mm. and my, my sisters and I got together or we were long lost at birth and we got mm. together. Mm. You just hear these amazing stories. Mm. Um, just to think that it, it started with a song. Mm. No, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. That's that's huge to me and will always be. Yes. And then obviously, without us going through every single album that followed, yeah. obviously the next one that we know was uh, Love Somebody Today, again with Niall and Bernard. And was it challenging to really be able to continue that success yeah. without it being like, oh, cookie cutter, you know, here we go, yeah. same thing again? And I think, you know, I think that's the one thing that sometimes the difference in true artistry, and I think this really, and sometimes the thinking of maybe an executive that sits behind a desk when mm -hmm. they go, you got to do a bigger one. I'm like, nah, you know, the truth mm -hmm. is that will always be what it is. It's made its mark. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we would get the challenge of, and I think Bernard and Niall did too. They, you know, can you give us another family? Well, no, because I think... There won't be another family. Mm -hmm. um, but the formula, you know, even mm -hmm. when Nard and Michael Walden did All-American Girls, mm -hmm. you could tell the formula was similar, you know. Mm -hmm. The driving beat, the, you know, mm -hmm. the guitar that's right. very staccato, you know, the yeah. the short staccato background. But I think I think once, every once in a lifetime, something comes along like mm -hmm. a weird family. Yeah. And I think it's... I think you don't try to top that. No, I got you. Know. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, but please stay tuned because we will be right back. Now available for pre-order exclusively at soulmusic.com, the 50th anniversary edition of First Take, Roberta Flack's 1969 debut album for Atlantic Records. First Take has been remastered and expanded to a two-CD, one-LP box set, featuring the original eight-track album plus 16 bonus tracks. 
First Take is a beautiful soul jazz hybrid that includes the number one hit song, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, and includes famous jazz luminaries such as Ron Carter, Benny Powell, and Selden Powell as sidemen. Featured in the 1971 Clint Eastwood movie Play Misty For Me, the popularity of The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face helped drive her debut album to number one on both the Billboard album chart and the R&B album chart. Newly remastered and expanded, this deluxe 50th anniversary edition includes 16 bonus tracks, 12 of which are previously unreleased, totaling nearly an hour of never-before-heard Roberta Flack music. Also included in this deluxe set is the original vinyl album, newly remastered and pressed on 140-gram vinyl. It's accompanied with a detailed essay by noted soul historian David Nathan, all beautifully packaged in a 12x12 hardback book. Roberta Flack's first take, the 50th anniversary edition, is now available for pre-order exclusively at soulmusic.com. Welcome back. Today we're talking with David Nathan, who is joined by none other than the legend Kathy Sledge. Well, one of the things you reference, and I do want to talk a little bit more about this than maybe even the conversations you, you and I have had before, is about uh, the album The Sisters, uh, where, and also the fact that you all um, started to become much more involved with songwriting and you're know, much more involved in the creative yeah. aspect. And, and I, I don't know, I was, th- I was trying to think about other, uh, particularly other female groups, who had that opportunity or have had that opportunity. And it occurred to me that there weren't that many. I couldn't actually, I was really struggling to think of another uh, group, female group of in that that time. Exactly. And I'm curious about, the first thing I'm curious about is when you went to the record company and said, we want to produce the yeah. next album. They were like, "No, leave." <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, what did they? Really, yeah, it was. It was. You know, it was. What happened? I mean, it was kind of groundbreaking to be able to yeah. do that at that time. And I do have to attribute a lot of that to my mom. She was, you know, mm. she was like, she kind of broke a lot of the barriers. Mm. Back then, you were called a backstage mom. Mm-hmm, she was our mm-hmm, manager. Mm-hmm. Now it's the cool thing to have. Yes, a momager. <laughs> I've never heard that expression. Yeah, of they, they call them momagers. You know, from managers like from Usher to to you know a lot of wow. parents manage now. Yeah, but yeah. Um, back then it was it was it was a, a risk to take, and mm. I think you know I like to look at projects from the past in any project, not just the Sledges project, but there's always a couple songs that jump out, and mm. on that particular album. Mm. It was, and it was my idea to do uh, a remake of My Guy. Yeah. And and yeah. I thought, what a cool song to do. I know I loved it growing up yeah. in the 60s. And yeah. why don't we do that? So that that is, I think. And then, of course, there's All the Man I Need that mm-hmm. Whitney later did. Yeah. yeah. Made a monstrous hit of it before we did it. It was Linda Clifford that mm-hmm. sang it. Mm-hmm. And there are certain songs that just keep coming back. Mm. And, um, so I always, when I think of the Sisters album, mm-hmm. those are the two songs that I love the most from really? that project. Mm. Well, yeah. I, yeah, just just as a kind of aside, I know we were talking before about Britain and uh, you know British audiences and so on. You know, I just have to say that uh, my the first concert I ever went to in my entire life, mm-hmm. growing up in 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 Britain, as a 
teenager. Yeah. Uh, the first concert I ever saw was actually the Beatles with wow. Mary Wells as a special guest. Wow, yeah. really? That was priceless. 1964, and it's it was priceless. the year of my guy. And yeah. uh, the funny thing was the be- this was at a, a, a theater, was actually a cinema. Mm-hmm. It was right next to the shop that uh, my dad managed a fish and chip shop. Okay. And we lived above it, my family cool. and my sister, myself, and my mom, and wow. my dad. You know, we lived above the shop. And so yeah. because he, it was right next to the cinema, he was able to get, get us in, get yeah. tickets. Because you couldn't get tickets to the wow. Beatles. I mean, forget yeah. it, right? And the thing was funny. So it's just funny because you mentioned about my guy because my, <laughs> that was my first, my first ever concert, ever, ever, <laughs> oh, ever. And cool. what I remember was... Uh, I felt sorry for Mary Rose because she came out and she was wearing this like glittery gown. She was like yeah. Motown at that time, Motown's yeah. first lady, you know, yeah. before Diana Ross. Sure. Well, the Supremes were out, but before Diana Ross became, you know, the Massive, main f- yeah. solo female artist at, at Motown. And she came out and, and I, why, why I felt sorry for her is because, of course, the audience was mostly made up of screaming young girls <laughs> right. who... Only were interested in, the in John Paul, George yeah. and Ringo. Yes. And they didn't want to hear no Mary Wells <laughs> until she sang, she sang My, My Guy. Guy. Uh, and when she sang My Guy, because they didn't, hadn't even heard of most of those other songs before yeah. that. She had You Beat Me to the Punch and Two Lovers and yeah. all these other Motown songs that she had as hit, hits yeah. in America. In America. But this, as soon as she started singing My Guy, you remember what you said about audiences singing along? Yeah. Well, even the even the female, the the mostly female teen screaming audience sang along with my, my, with my guy. So wow. you, your choice was a very that choice of redoing that song was was right on was right Thank on you. for a whole another generation that obviously never heard Mary Wells. Never heard of it. Yeah, that's so cool. And I didn't know the story about yeah. Mary Wells. I yeah, just knew that yeah. I knew that growing up, sure. I loved that song. Yeah, and I. I always wonder why it wasn't covered, you know, back then. I was like, mm-hmm. this is the song. This we should do song. it. But um, I, I want to just dwell a little bit more also on, on, on the songwriting because I know that you and your sisters, and, 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 and I noticed, you yeah, know, because I, I noticed there's some songs that, um, uh, quite a few songs over the years after the, after the sisters and maybe, maybe before that, but I think mm-hmm. primarily after that, that your name appears as a songwriter with your yeah. husband. Yes. Philip Lightfoot. Yes. Yeah, we do. We write a lot together. And did you did you start writing before you got married, or did you get did you no, start you writing know, afterwards? <laughs> the story behind Philip is he he always was he was actually more of the orchestral side of music. Yeah, he, he yeah. taught at the University of Delaware at a very young age, orchestral mm-hmm. percussion, mm-hmm. and he was always a writer. Mm. And I love to write to this day. Yes. But of course, with you know, of course, we hadn't done. Yeah, we had done the We Are Family project mm-hmm. where I was not allowed to write at right, all. Right. But then I did write on other projects mm-hmm. before then, like mm-hmm. Circle of Love. Yes. And some things with Sylvester Coons and mm-hmm. things. But, um, you know, I, I love writing. And it was, it, it had a lot to do with why I ventured into did some solo stuff. Sure. You know, I always like to make it clear I never really left the group. I was mm-hmm. asked to leave because mm. basically, I would, you know, this is what we'd do growing up. We would write songs and we'd take votes on them. Really? Yeah. That's a Democrat, you know, diplomatically, diplomatically. You know, who likes this song? Raise your hand. And my songs were never chosen as much. And and that's cool. But what I learned was 
Well, what do you do with these? Do you just never, they Record never have them, a life? Never do, yeah, yeah. So I started submitting them to other artists like Janet Jackson and Whitney Houston. And, and I got callbacks to do solo projects. But with that said, I've always been a writer. I love writing. Mm. And I, gr- I got a chance to grow with the writing. And Philip and I, mm. you know, we wrote a song, Smile, yeah. that did really well overseas. Yeah. But I think more than ever, I'm ri- it's funny, but I'm writing more than ever now really? than I ever did. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I think, you know, it has, a, it has everything to do with evolving as an artist. Yeah, and as a person. And as a person. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've always felt like artists who write their music, like the, you know, mm-hmm. like the Carol Kings and the James Taylor, mm-hmm. who I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. I feel like you really get to show more than just the artistry of being a vocalist. You mm-hmm. get to, you walk away knowing more about Sting or Chardet or, you know, yeah. because this is coming from the soul of the writer. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I love that part of writing. Mm. So. So, 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 and uh, as I say, I think as, as, as the albums progressed, um, you did contribute more in terms mm-hmm. of being involved with the creative process. So, mm-hmm. whereas the, you know, the, and not to take anything away from those albums with Nile and Bernard, but, uh, you know, obviously they weren't, they didn't, they didn't have any, uh, well, that's not true. I think there is one, there is a, a sledge original yeah. composition, one of those that albums. One of them. Yeah, I can't remember which one it is now, but. And, and that's another thing, too. Now I'm getting, I get to produce more because, again, I think. Writing, I think sometimes it's a great marriage mm. when you write and you get the right producer to, to interpret what you're feeling. Sure. Here. And then sometimes I feel like the artist, um, they know what they're hearing inside and mm. it's a part of being the visionary with the song. Mm. Mm. And then you have the opposite. Sometimes you have people that write and they're too close to it. Yeah. So it's good to have someone interpret uh, uh, it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so what, what, you know... Um, when you when you started to really get more involved with writing, mm-hmm. uh, with your husband and and and, and other, with other people, other, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what what provided you with the inspiration for the songs you wrote? Like let's let's take since we talked about smile, let's mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about that song, and what do you remember? What inspired the yeah. song? Always to this day, it's usually the music. Okay. Like when when Phil gave me the track of Smile, mm-hmm. it made me smile. It made me feel. Right. It made yes. me feel happy. And I thought, well, this song is uplifting. Let me write some uplifting lyrics. Mm. And to this day, I am actually exploring with all different writers. And I've been writing with Jam and Lewis now. Really? Yeah. Wow. They send me tracks. They're like, what do you think of this? It was actually really? more Jam than, than Jam yeah, Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we kind of put a halt on things for a minute. But for a while, we've written at least maybe six songs, and, really? wow. and and the tracks inspire me. And now I'm actually writing with Stanley Clark, which I am so incredibly that's amazing excited about. I, I, well, you you got to say a little bit more about that. How how did that come about? I mean, what, what wow. that's like that's major. <laughs> well, like, I got to tell mean, you, no, Jam and Lewis is major too. Of yeah, course, they're my favorite producers. Yeah, I mean, but I got to yeah. tell you, I am you know my husband's good friends with Stanley, and hmm. he he heard. I did a project about Billie Holiday. Okay. Because people say I can bring Billie back to life mm-hmm. when I sing. Mm-hmm. When I do this brighter side of day, that's mm-hmm. what it's called. Mm-hmm. And from that, I did a recording of Good Morning Heartache. Yes. And Stanley Clark heard it, and he quote-unquote said, which is huge to me, because you have one of the greatest jazz voices that I've ever heard. And he actually put me in the category of some great artist that 
I actually wanted to cry, <laughs> you know, like Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughn. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? But he played a song for me. Mm. And now we it's one reason why I'm here in the L.A. But we are collaborating with other songwriters as well as like Saida Garrett. And yeah. We're putting together a project with an orchestra of just, as he would call it, a Grammy Award winning project to give homage to the brilliant kind of music that jazz has brought all of us. And I think mm. for for him to, to ask me to be a part of this and, mm. and feel that my voice delivers was everything to me. I'll make sure I send you something. Oh, yeah. But yeah. that's what we're doing now. And with Jam and Lewis, it was more of, you know, they called me, uh, Jam did, and he goes, you know, we reached out to re- through just and he just goes, you know, you have one of the, you know, strongest pop voices, and let's just write some sled smashes. That's how he puts it. <laughs> you know, it. so I, 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 I think, and yeah. I have to say, you know, with I'm learning, even at this place in my life, you, mm. you know, it's just your voice. You don't think it's special. It's just your voice. Mm. But I think what I have learned is when people like Stanley Clark or Jamin Lewis or, you know, Narda, we've talked about writing mm-hmm. and collaborating. Mm-hmm. I feel, I think the world of these artists, mm-hmm. these producers, mm-hmm. and for them to want to deliver songs and write with me is is everything. So it's a whole other chapter yeah, in my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think probably, well, I, I mean, as I'm listening to you talk, I mean, I do recall the last time I saw you a few years ago in, in, in Britain at the Margate Soul Festival, yes, as I recall, that's right. you did make a reference to um, that that you were at that the time, Holiday, yeah. yeah, beginning to consider doing you know some jazz stuff, or you wanted to be doing, or you may have yes. already started to do that. And but I think probably for many of the people who are going to listen to this podcast, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be surprised because they don't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even necessarily imagine. associate. Maybe you jazz. with jazz, yeah, which 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 is which is a, a testament to you, of course, that yeah. that that people you know, are looking at you as someone who can uh, interpret and 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 purvey that kind of music because that isn't everyone can't. We know everyone can't do that. We just know that mm-hmm. that's true. So let me ask you, related to that particular genre of music, I mean, did you listen to jazz growing up? Did you hear any? Was it in your household? I mean, well, you know, my mom would tell you if she were here with us yes. that she feels like I was born in that time just from another time. Really? Yeah. I, you know, and I just love the phrasing. And I think what I did, which is interesting, is you're right. I don't think anyone, I think no one would really associate me with jazz music because I've always been a pop artist. Yeah. And... Pop, R&B, dance, R&B, dance <laughs> but not jazz. <laughs> but, but, but I, I have this way. I, I, you know, I, I can actually interpret Billie Holiday's voice, mm. which I never studied. I can. I'm told I can. You can close your eyes and you can just see Billie in the room. And I thought, and even the way that I started learning how to sing like Billie, I never practiced. I, my aunt from New York used to collect her albums and one day I started playing this this album of this beautiful voice and I, it sounded like a clarinet mm. and I'm like oh my gosh and I I'll never forget I went in to my mom and my aunt I went in front of them they were in the kitchen and I started doing the voice 
and they were like, my mom's like, oh my God, we got to put that in the act. Because, you know, we would do a lot of Vegas. We would always open right, for right. Bill Cosby and Jay Leno. And uh, I started incorporating Billie Holiday in our show. But from that, David, I later in the years, mm. I felt, you know, there's a story there behind this woman that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, we all we know the heavy story, yeah. the sad story. But yeah. Billie Holiday, to me, I felt like was one of the strongest women mm-hmm. in that day and age. I believe that mm. the problem was she was born in the wrong time mm. and she was and tough. Yeah. So I yeah. thought, let's do, let's do, if I can do Billie Holiday, then let me do a performance or production of her at her best. There had to be a time in her life yeah. where she just felt her best and sounded her best. So it's called the brighter side of day. It's a brighter side yeah, of day. Yeah, 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 I get that, yeah. And the whole idea is like, what would it be like if you walked into... And I've, I took this really on the road. I took it to only the top jazz clubs in, you know, like Blues Alley mm-hmm. in D.C. or, mm-hmm. you know, Metropolitan Room. And I would say, you know, what would it be like if you could step back in time and there's Louis Jordan and the Timpany Five mm-hmm. and Billie Holiday and, and like, just let, let's just propel this audience to the 40s? Because I feel like I was somewhere in my other life from the 40s. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's how it all Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I, but I also knew this. I said, you know, no one's going to call me up to do a jazz project, So, but you will actually bring in a production about Billie Holiday mm-hmm. in in the Catalina room mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. In the, or in the in the Blues Alley mm-hmm, room. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And from that, it kind of went to a whole other level. That's amazing. Of doing amazing jazz stuff. Well, one I, of the things, a few things I want to say. Mm-hmm. It kind of, as they say, riffing off of that, okay. <laughs> so to speak, uh, a very jazz term, riffing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is um, you know, uh, I'm with you in regard to um, people's perception of Billie Holiday. Uh, I, I think that it's really easy to um, pigeonhole someone. Well, she was a junkie, or she was mm-hmm. this, or she, you know, uh, she was a sad person. And it just isn't true. I mean, you know, no, no. I mean, there's a whole there's whole parts of our life that weren't like that. And yes, it is true to say she, you she know, struggled with that. Yeah, but but at the same time, there's other parts of our life that were not like that. I mean, you know, there, you no. know, there is a whole. It's so easy to just dwell on the good morning heartache yeah. or God bless you know, the child or, or strange me. fruit, you know, yeah, which no are, are heavy songs. I mean, yeah, I have heavy in a sense. But there's whole other parts of her music that are nothing like that. It's interesting because from that, the director, Stephen Stahl, who produced and wrote Lady Day off-Broadway, approached me. And mm-hmm. I actually read for the part and got the part of Lady Day. It never really went to fruition. And then there was George... Faison that was putting together the then production of Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Mm. And I got that part. Wow. So these are the two major uh, plays that were written about Billy that did make it to off-Broadway mm-hmm. and Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I was so familiar with the scripts because I got mm-hmm. these parts that landed in my lap. And I have to say, when I did the reading for Lady Day, now Stephen Stahl studied her for most of his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And he, if he were here, he'd tell you she was... She would always crack jokes until yeah. she was fun. She was, yeah. And so when I put together The Brighter Side of Day, there's one song that I absolutely love performing as mm-hmm. Billie Holiday, and that's Them Their Eyes. You know, I fell in love with Them you. Them Their Eyes. Them yeah. Their Eyes. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I'm like, 
that's the song. That's the song. That yeah. that song just makes me feel sexy yeah. and yeah. everything. And I said, I bet this was her favorite song. And I kid you not. It was. When I was doing the cult reading, uh-huh. in her own words, mm. she talks about how Them Their Eyes was her favorite song. That's a, that is amazing. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, there's a couple of, couple of things, you know. Um, uh, I didn't. It's interesting how podcasts go, you know, conversation. So how yeah. conversations go, because I love that that we have gone, yeah, we, we, <laughs> yeah we've right. gone into, a, a, we kind of went on a little tangent, but it's a great tangent, and I think the yeah. people are going to be like, wow, uh, they didn't know that about you and, yeah. and and your reference for her and for jazz, yeah. And a couple of things I want to say. Firstly, I, I did live in Philadelphia myself for about ten months. It was mm-hmm. at the end of my stay in, in living in in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was towards the end of that, I was walking, I can't remember the street it was now, I was walking down, you know, a, a kind of a known street mm-hmm. just off of um, Broad Street mm-hmm. in the middle of Philadelphia. And I went past a building which was where Billie she Holiday lived. lived. And something? I didn't even realize she had lived in Philadelphia. Yeah, there's that ongoing... Uh, Did you know that? Th- yes. Well, they, you know... Baltimore, there's always that argument of no, she's from Philly. No, she's from Baltimore, because she did. She was from Baltimore, and oh. then but she did live in Philadelphia. Yeah, and so have you ever been to where that house is? I have to say, I have never been. You're going to gonna check I it will. out. I, I mean, and I don't remember. As you're talking, I'm like, yeah. I'm going. No, I mean, it's got a whole more yeah, memorial. Billie, yeah, for her. Billie Holiday lived here yeah. whatever years. She, I was like, wow, and, and, and she. Yeah. I believe so. The story goes mm-hmm. in Lady Day. I'm um, Lady Day. Stephen Stahl, I, I believe when her mother had Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. she, I think her mother had her at a very young age. Yes, she did. And she was moved to Philadelphia. Right. So the story is she was born in Philadelphia, I believe. Wow. But she was from Baltimore. So it's something. So, it is, like so, so they always say there's this controversy of where she's from. Mm. She's from both places. Right. <laughs> well, one thing I just, one other thing I want to say, I want to reference some, somebody else. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned in there about, about um, her, you know, that she was funny. She, you know, made, she, yeah, wasn't, she wasn't just this miserable, depressed person. No. Was so one of the other people that I had the experience of, um, uh, of being around um, who actually at one point was on Atlantic. Um, and, and I don't think she wasn't on Atlantic when you were, but mm-hmm. certainly had the same kind of characteristics. Uh, you know, was also had what people would have called a hard life, and people didn't ever necessarily see the funny side of her, uh, was Esther Phillips. Esther Phillips, really? Yes, Esther Phillips was uh, an Atlantic recording artist. And what a for voice. Some, yes, very much some people said reminiscent of Dinah Washington. Yeah. Uh, but the thing was, Esther also had a hard, hard, really? you know, some hard times and, you know, you know public about her you know, drug addiction and mm-hmm. so on. Um, I, but believe the, the, I believe that time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the era... It was such a hard time for mm. musicians, especially mm. female, you know, black yeah, female, yeah. African American musicians and artists. And I think, I think the music was the release. The music, yes. you know, you have to think about this for the heavy times that they and the doors they had mm. to open mm-hmm. and the doors that were closed. Mm. There had to be such a side to get them through, mm. and that side is really, you know, I think, the side of faith and and the side of just being uplifted and that yeah. you, gotta, you have yeah. to have the joy yeah otherwise how do you make it you know yeah, well you would heavy time yeah and the, the thing i was gonna say is that that what I, when i think about esther in particular 
you know, and, and other and other, you know, legendary mm -hmm. uh, performers. You know, it, it, I've had the opportunity to get to know. There's always that. There's humor. humor. There's so much That's humor. That's what I hear and, about Billy. And sass, yeah. sass, and, Sassy, yeah. sass, and humor. You know, yeah. And I love that. And, and even you know, I'm, I'm, we're, so we talk about. You know, we're reminiscing somewhat about, uh, you know, the fact, of course, you were on Atlantic for all those years, Cotillion and so on. You know, of course, we can't forget that Aretha, of course, was also, oh, you, know, uh, yes. you know, a major part of the Atlantic yes. story as well. And, um, you know, that's another part of Aretha that people, I think, sometimes that didn't necessarily know. Yes. The funny part, the funny part. Uh, particularly the funny part and certainly the sassy part. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so it all, it all goes to make the person who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if no so one true. can be just a blue, a bluesy right. person all the time. It just wouldn't be a real life. You've so, got to have so all those dimensions. You've got to have all the dimensions. Know. Yeah. Well, that's so, so just, you know, uh, uh, in regards to the jazz, the projects that you're doing with Stanley Clark, the project doing yes. Stanley Clark and, and with Jam and Lewis uh, are those are those things that come into fruition soon well the Stanley Clark is definitely going into fruition and, and coming into fruition we're writing mm. we're excited about it Sonny Paxton who's also a, an, an amazing musician we've just been collaborating Stanley's actually bringing in more of his his colleagues legendary mm -hmm. colleagues for this and it's we just want to do the, the the most brilliant jazz project yes and to be a part of it is is everything to me. Yes. With Jam, um, and mainly Jam and Terry Lewis, we we you know we got together through honestly through. We've always said through the years, and I I think the last time I saw them was, um, at the it was in Nashville. Yeah. For uh -huh. the, the African American Music Museum. And, oh yeah. And mm -hmm. I was a presenter for Dion Warwick, and mm. we, we talked. We you know through the years we've always we would always say. We were going to do something together. Mm. And it just started with Jan sending me a track. So we would write, and we've written at least, you know, some of the songs I I like more than the others. There's one in particular that I would like to revisit and get other artists on because I think we're at a place in our lives mm. where, especially with the Internet, I do. I think people get to choose what they love yeah, instead of some executive telling you what to play what to, yeah, and yeah. what airwaves should play or whatever mm -hmm. you know it's so different now and I think um, as a writer not just as an artist mm -hmm. it gives me a chance to explore more with other songwriters sure. and all kinds of music Yes, and so I would like to say there's something I'd love to revisit with them and with Stanley it's definitely into fruition and yes Excellent. It's all a journey. Yeah. Well, I was, you know, uh, uh, you know, just Kathy to kind of wrap up, so to speak, and to yes, to bring us full circle. <laughs> uh, so, so one thing that's kind of interesting for me is, you know, there are all these different dimensions of what you do now mm -hmm. and what you're doing, and then we always. I say come back to, but yeah. you know, of course, yeah. You know, when know people when people see you, when they see you with other members of your family doing sh shows, mm -hmm. they of course want to hear the classic of course songs. Yes. Uh, I won't, I won't ask you if you ever get tired of them because I'm sure the answer is no. Never. Yeah. I mean. No. Is there, is there a is there a I know this is a really bad question, but is there a favorite song oh, from yes. that? Yeah, hands down, thinking okay. of you. Really? Oh yeah. Can In you fact, tell us tell us why? Well, I gotta tell you, you know, because now again I've been producing shows, and what I have been doing is actually adding, you know, 
what sisters I'm seeing a whole new market especially in different territories around the world mm-hmm. that love this music it's new to them mm-hmm. so my thought is well okay let me introduce what this band was about you know we were the first girl band to ever dance full on in choreography yeah. so I actually had I did a lot of work investigative work with bringing in producers of film mm-hmm. to show the original sisters on huge screen mm-hmm. with the choreography and then I have dancers match the choreography and and I and I want to be able to give you the experience of mm. of what Sister Sledge brought to the map. Mm. This is the girl band that actually started the whole movement of dancing. Before us, it was the Supremes and Mary That's Wells. That's true. Yeah, After yeah. us, it was the Spice Girls and TLC. Yeah. We were the girls that, I can't even imagine myself in a gown. But, you know, we, we, <laughs> we that's who we were. And so with these, with this whole new generation of um, people just embracing the music, I'm like, well, let me show you what this was really about. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that more. But... In this show, I sing Thinking of You. Mm. And I just, I, I started hashtagging sing this with me. Because when I go, you know, everybody, you know, and, the, and they start singing along, mm-hmm. I just, it's, it's euphoric. It's, you feel these lyrics just go through you. Wow. And it's, it's one of my happiest songs that I love to sing. Really? Yeah, it really is. I think it always will be. And I love We Are Family. It does something different. Mm-hmm. But Thinking of You is just a song that moves me. Really? Yes. Even even So even now when you perform it? Oh, my still... gosh. I can't wait for it to start. You know, really? When show, uh, you know, when you hear that guitar and that, you know. And and uh, it's just a it's just to me, it's like the perfect storm. It's like everything worked on that song mm-hmm. from the lyrics to the guitar, mm. to the melody. Mm-hmm. I love the melody, thinking of you. And then the ad lib. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I felt like it was one of those songs that, I, I'm surprised that people don't know it as much here. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I am putting together a show, and Kim and I talk about doing more things, and I certainly would, I'm hearing that it's being embraced more, so I would yes. do it here. Yeah. But that's it, the song. Yeah, and well, good, great, mm-hmm. great, great. Well, I love that because that's of course, of course, as I said, the title of the box set. Yes. Which, by the way, um, you know, I, I'm very proud to say I had something to do with putting it together. Of course, you did. But, but, <laughs> Thank but, but, you. I, but it's interesting because I, I chose that title. Did because, you? Yeah, I chose that title for the whole box set yeah. because as I listened to the song, I thought, you know, this. It's a great song. I mean, it's a great we can't song. call it. I mean, because there's, of course, been other compilations and other yeah. things called. We, are, of course, we don't want to call it after an original album. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, we don't want to call it. We are family because right. there's already an album called. We are. So, so I said, like, well, what, 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 could, what could we call it? What could we call it? And I saw and said there'd already been some compilations called Lost in Music, yeah. so I couldn't do that. So which song? Could, it's what, a perfect title. And it really. And, and I was actually listened to the song again. I like, this is a great song. Yeah, well, I mean, it's I a great to, yeah. song. I mean, like, how did it's people great. miss it? Not you know, that they missed well, it, well, but well, in you other know. countries, I think you know. Yeah, but but yeah. now again, we're living in a we're living in an era where, mm. at the push of a button, you can hear it now, yeah. and and it's it's. I now I get people here in the United States. They go, "Oh my gosh, I love that song." Yeah, and I'm like, that song. They some people think it's new. Yeah, my, my my daughter's girlfriend's like, is that your mom's new record? I'm like, no, that I recorded that with my sisters years ago. That's funny. You know? yeah. But it's timeless. Yeah, you know? and yeah. and I I think a lot of the songs that Nile 
Rogers and Bernard Edwards wrote for so many different mm-hmm. artists, you know, collectively together and then separate mm-hmm. individually. They 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 were timeless writers. Absolutely. And I, you know, got to give them that homage. Well, I, I kind of know I kind of know a little bit about the lost in music in terms of you know how that is for many people who perform and they, and people when they record they really mm-hmm. do literally get lost in music like yeah. like they so are in the music yes. like become the music so to speak. Yeah. But I am curious. Have you ever asked Nile? or at the time, Bernard, who thinking of you was about? I never have. I I never have. I think, um, I do know, and I'm not sure who wrote what, but there, I do know with their writing marriage, they would take time, take turns if right. we would write the lyrics. But I remember Bernard Edwards writing a lot of the lyrics then. Okay. And um, I don't know who contributed what. Right. Maybe Niall would come up with a hook and Bernard sure. would come up with the verses. But I never, I will ask Niall. I think, um, I know when I sing it. Who are you? Yeah, good. That's the question. Yes. Do you want to know honestly? Yeah, I do. I'm thinking of the crowd. Really? I'm thinking of the thankful Mm. feeling that you feel Mm. when people just embrace that song. And that's why I go, you know, I start out at the beginning, and by the time we're into the hook, I'm like, sing this with me. And the whole place just, you know, and it makes me feel so special because here's a song that years we did years ago. Yeah, that is being ra- it's being embraced. I mean, Forty years ago. Yeah, and I'm seeing these. Forty two years ago. Yeah, and I'm I seeing these generations. Forty one years ago. Yeah, that sometimes they're they're with their parents singing it, or to, but it's new to to you know wow. a whole new market, and wow. that blows me away. It does. Wow. And then I, I feel special to be able to. I'm a very I'm a stickler for making sure mm-hmm. in performances that it sounds exactly like you know it. Mm-hmm. It's very important to me. Yes. And yes. Um, all the way down to like at rehearsals with the guitar, it's got to be clean. It's got to be right. It's got to be right. The yeah, bass has yeah, to come yeah. in smooth, and you know, yeah. the harmonies have to be sung like staccato, like the whole formula mm-hmm. of chic, mm-hmm. because you're you're replicating, you know. Exactly what mm-hmm. you want to close your eyes and, and feel like you're just playing the right song. Right there, yeah, yeah. So that's the that's song. brilliant. Well, that, <laughs> is, that is the perfect. We couldn't have created a more uh, org- organic ending to this conversation. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just right on. <laughs> so, Kathy, you. thank you so much for your time thank today. Thank you. I mean, really, and, and I think that thinking of you, that's that just says it all. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy Sledge. Thank you. Thank you, David, and thank you, Kathy Sledge. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform and visit us for daily updates about your favourite soul and R&B artists over at soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.